Okay, so here we go. It is time for part two, the long-awaited, is it long-awaited? There was a delay, but the long-awaited part two of my 50th birthday celebration episodes. And yeah, all the celebrating is over, but I am here with you right now and excited to be talking and doing the Q&A portion of this celebration. Initially, I was going to do the interviews and the Q&A in one episode, and I realized that was going to be incredibly long. So instead, I decided to break it up into two episodes. So I hope you will enjoy this one. Yes, all of my 50th birthday celebrating in real life is over, but I'm glad that it's still going on with you. My dad flew out to visit. We had an awesome weekend. Things went really great. We went to a lot of different places, did a lot of fun things here in San Diego, and went up to Disneyland, went to the safari park, and even just had some quiet time with family. It was a really, really great weekend. And now I'm back in the grind of regular life, but still talking about everything with all of you, which is always fun. So in this episode, I've really kind of broken the questions into two different categories. There's questions that pertain directly to me personally and questions that are more generalized. And whether it's coaching advice or questions about keto or just life questions in general, you know, we're going to do those second up first will be the questions that are about me. So strap yourselves in, get ready for it. Here we go. Question number one, <laughs> and you're going to see that I alternate sometimes if there's lighter questions and deeper questions. We'll start with the light one. Did you enjoy turning 50? Uh, it's funny because I put this one here because I thought it would be like a lighter question. And as I thought more about it, knowing this was going to be the first question, I realized I enjoyed turning 50 because it happened. And for the longest time, I didn't think it was going to happen. And it did because of the work that I've done. It did because of the commitments that I've made to myself. And whether that road has been smooth sailing or rocky, I'm still on it. And I'm still here. And I am now in my 51st year and fighting to keep going. So I did enjoy turning 50 as much as right now I'm not enjoying the proliferation of people turning 30 on Instagram and acting like their lives are over. Um, to all of those people out there, specifically some of those guys out there bemoaning turning 30, uh, your life is just starting. So understand there's a lot of fun still to come, even in the threes, the fours, and heck, I'm hoping in the fives. The next question is the proudest moment of my journey. This one, hmm, you know, it's, it's, I, I think it would be easy to say it's like weight loss milestones or physical activity milestones or years or things along those lines. But really, honestly, to me, the proudest moment of my journey was that night back in 2017 when I decided I had had enough. When I decided that this was it, I needed to make change. And I forged a new track in my life, a, a track where I was willing to learn from it and grow from it, not just go through the motions, but also learn the lessons I needed to learn along the way, pick up knowledge, discard things that weren't serving me, all of those pieces. But to me, that will long be the proudest moment of my journey. And that was February 13th, 2017, to be specific. Because February 14th was the, the day one. So you don't decide on day one. You decide before that. And really, it was like that 12th, 13th, that, that time was the proudest moment of my journey. I hope that makes sense. And I hope that when you think about like the proud moments on your journey, you're able to come up with several answers to that question. Question number three, 
where did you get the goose eggs? So if you follow my social media, you know that I had some goose eggs um, a week or so ago. And they came from a friend. <laughs> I was actually dropping my sister off at her house, and I got a, a phone call as I was driving away, and she said, hey, um, I have goose eggs, and I don't know if I know anyone else that would eat them. Do you want them? She got them from, I think, her mom's neighbor, who raises the gooses and also raises some chickens. I got some chicken eggs as well. But the goose eggs were fun. They're like two times the size of a chicken egg, really big yolk. They're very similar to duck eggs, if you've ever had duck eggs. But if you can ever check them out, check out those goose eggs. Um, I had a comment that wasn't a question. It just said, great to meet you. And I went to that, that profile, and it's uh, basically a medical scam page. But hey, it, it's good to meet you too, right? You know, it's always good to meet new people. And on to the next question. How has weight loss impacted other areas of your life? I think the easy go-tos here are like to talk about physical things, um, like in terms of physical activity, access, you know, things along those lines. And of course, there's been multiple impacts there. But I also think a big impact has been not just in, because I don't want this to come out wrong, because I, 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 my immediate answer simply is to say the impact on personality and confidence. And it's not that I wasn't confident in who I was as a person when I was bigger and have been bigger and bigger and smaller and all those different times up and down on the roller coaster, it, that was not the, the place that I was lacking confidence. I think the confidence was more in about my ability to do things, my capabilities. Like, so I really think that coming through this leg of my journey these past six plus years now has really been about proving to myself the things that I'm capable of and growing confident in those capabilities. And to me, that is one of the biggest impacts, you know, besides just the scale, besides just my ability to move and go to the gym and, you know, interact with people, you know, it's that ability to be able to say yes to things, to not have to say no to things and really be confident in who I am as a person. So it doesn't mean that when you're a bigger person that you don't have confidence. It doesn't mean that you don't know who you are, none of those things. But for me, I spent a lot of time in willful ignorance of my capabilities as a person and played down those capabilities, I think, to keep life easier. And so coming through this journey really has been a lot, a lot of exploration and a lot of growing in terms of knowing what I am capable of as a person. I, I hope that makes sense. Um, so the, I've got two pieces that are kind of connected coming up next. Like one, someone who is clearly a longtime follower, because if a longtime follower on Instagram specifically, the account that I have now is actually a new account because in fall of 2020, without warning, Instagram deleted my page. They eventually said it was an accident, but they couldn't restore it. Uh, but I had a page there that I've been on Instagram for years and years with. And this person's question, who was following me back then, said, what was life like as a buffet molester? Uh, buffet molester is one of my hashtags that I've been using, you know, for, if not, you know, long before I even started uh, on a weight loss journey and all of that. Um, it, was a, it was a hashtag I was using. It, it was a, a nickname or a, a, a calling card given to me by a friend who has been on the podcast, um, Andrew Cave Dad, and it was... His his assessment of of who I was back then, and it's pretty accurate. Um, you know, my life revolved around food, you know, twenty four seven, and there really wasn't much else to it at that point. And so I 
kind of took it as like a, a badge of honor to keep using the hashtag as I moved on through my journey, not only for the people that were checking in, checking in on me with it, but also discovering and learning about me and, you know, what was, what was life like back then? I feel like I've covered that a lot on the podcast. So what I figured I would do is actually tell a story that someone else asked about. And the cover art for this episode, if you've seen it, is me with frosting all over my face at my heaviest weight of 540 pounds. And I, they, they asked me this question and they said, I don't know if you've ever talked about it on the podcast before, but I, I'd just like to know the story behind this picture. And I, I honestly, I can't remember if I have told it on here. If I have, we're talking 210 episodes ago. So we're going to get into it again. Uh, so if you haven't seen the infamous picture, it's on my Instagram account too. Check it out. My face covered in, in uh, sparkled frosting. Because um, basically I, I went face deep into a cake that night. Uh, it was, let, let's try to get some time here. It was either fall of, two, I think it was fall of 2007. And I used to work as a residence hall director at a university. And I was in charge of a building that was like 250 freshmen. And with the other residence hall directors, one of my specific unique tasks was working on helping managing training for our, our student staff, our RAs. And we went on a retreat every year with them as a part of that training to this great little center. There was a building with a ton of bedrooms and we had some other facilities there and it was kind of remote for Rhode Island and we always had a great time. And that year we actually had three RAs whose birthdays were the, the over the days that we went on the retreat. So one of the, the residence hall directors went and bought this giant sheet cake for everyone to have some with dinner and, and all that jazz. And often during the retreat, we would hang out late at night, you know, especially some of the staff would stay up and wait for all the students to be asleep, you know, before we would kind of shut things down for the night. And we were hanging out with the cake, having pieces of it or whatever. And at some point, someone, one of the other residence hall directors, uh, dared me to uh, stick my face in the cake. And it wasn't a cake eating challenge this time. I've probably told the gravy story before on this show. Um, the gravy story was definitely about eating. This was just more being the buffoon, being a clown, um, them knowing that I'd be the person that would stick his face in a cake. Um, and so I did it and <laughs> then had several pictures. And I believe there was actually video at that time of it happening. Um, but to me, it speaks to, you know, the persona I had then, you know, I, there were, there were times in my life, you know, I've talked about this on the show too. And on my Instagram, like, it wasn't that I despised life when I was bigger. It was just that life was really limited. You know, there were and there were things looming that I was willfully, willfully ignorant of and out of sight, out of mind and all of that. And sometimes to get through the pain you're living with because of the choices you're making, you know, you put on facades and you put on, you know, masks. And that, that frosting in a lot of ways was a representation of the mask that I had on, you know that I was the funny fat guy, that I was the guy that didn't care. I was the guy who had no worries, you know, all of those things. So in a lot of ways, that picture to me is like the pinnacle representation of that time in my life. You know, it's a time when, you know, there was a mask of sugar there. And it wasn't until that was removed that things really changed. And it wasn't until, honestly, almost 10 years later that things started to change. So nothing that exciting, I guess, in the end with the, the frosting story, it was a dare. I did it. But 
Um, it's led to a lot of conversations since then. It's led to a lot, you know, that photo was certainly a conversation piece and it will continue to be probably for the rest of my life, no doubt. And the next question is, what are your favorite salty and sweet keto snacks? Um, I, I, I tend to, if I'm going to have things that are like snacks, like they tend to be with my meals. So I'm not a big snacker per se. You know, I'd rather have a, a more extended period between my meals. So I eat enough at my meals that I'm not hungry later. But I will say that if there's something, if I want something salty, my usual go-to is probably going to be pork rinds, specifically pork and good pork rinds. I love them. I don't have a code for them or anything like that. That's I'm not. I don't get paid to say that, but I just love their texture. They have a light, airy quality to them, and their flavors are phenomenal. So, pork and good pork rinds is probably my favorite salty keto snack. If you want to go something, you know, beyond pork rinds, I guess, like obviously things like cheese crisps. Um, also, lately, I've gotten big into uh, macadamia nuts, uh, roasted salted macadamia nuts. Um, I find them really satiating. You don't have to have a lot of them, but uh, they're a really great nut for keto. They have great macros. Um, sweet keto snacks. Mm. This is a hard one because I don't tend to like buy a lot of sweet keto snacks. Like It tends to be more things I've come upon or things I get to try, that sort of thing. Um, basic, 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 probably my favorite quote-unquote sweet keto snack is some stiff whipped cream with uh, some stevia and vanilla added to it. Um, I just for, I just always really love whipped cream. My dad loves whipped cream. He, he had some when he was out here, you know, at one of our dinners. He just wanted to have a little whipped cream. That's his thing. Um, so just making up some whipped cream, putting a few drops of stevia in there with a little bit, a few drops of vanilla or almond extract, which almond extract has a really distinct flavor. Um, I like that. It doesn't taste like almonds. It reminds me of more cherry tones, I guess. I don't know. But to me, that is a very satisfying, um, keto-friendly, sweet snack. If we're talking more along the lines of like a product you can buy, I'm going to say uh, I'm a big fan of the goodies mixes, specifically the blondies. Um, and i honestly not sure if she still makes the blondies. If she does, try them. Um, they're fantastic. Add some walnuts. Add some... Um, keto-friendly chocolate or some 100% dark chocolate, and you get like a chocolate chippy brownie kind of thing. That reminds me of a recipe my grandmother used to make. So the, the goodies blondies are probably my favorite sweet keto snack. So there you go. Um, what is next? What is next? We're getting to the bottom of the questions about me, so I hope you're, you're okay with that. You know, I hope it hasn't been too much for you. Um, next question. How close do you feel you are to falling off the wagon? This question fascinates me because honestly, like I spent a lot of, I used to feel like a lot of the time that there was on track and there was off track and that you're always just like one bad decision from going from one to the other. And what I've really realized over time and specifically through like working with clients and the work I've done as a coach and the things I've learned about myself doing that is that we define things as on track and off track and on the wagon and off the wagon because in a lot of ways it enables our behavior because if you're off track you can say well i screwed up i'm off track i'm a bad person i can keep doing it you know i'll get back on track eventually but for right now i'm just going to stay in this place for a little you know give myself 24 hours to enjoy it you know that line of thinking i just think is so pervasive 
So for me, I don't, I don't think that I see anything as more than just the track in front of me. And now I've said that on this podcast before, so you're used to hearing that from me. But I will answer this question from the perspective of the person asking it, which is, do I personally feel like I'm in a place where things are good or I'm close to being you know, completely off the rails, going back to the life I used to live, all, you know, going back to those behaviors. And while I will freely 100% admit that there's weight that I've put on over the past three years that I would like to lose and I'm working on, um, that never came from a place of being out of control or anything along those lines. It was conscious choices to relax my eating or relax my choices and understand the consequences of those things. And I don't see myself in a place where I'm going to all of a sudden wake up one day and be like, okay, this is done. Things are off the rails. Let's just go. Um, I honestly feel very firm, you know, that the track of my life is the track of my life and that I know where I'm going and I know where my choices will take me. And I know the choices I need to make to get me to the place that I want to be and the place that I enjoy being. So for me, I, I don't, I don't feel threatened or in trouble or anything along those lines. I can understand that someone may have that perspective that they feel that way for themselves or they see someone else and they feel worried about that person. But I think honestly, like understand for yourself that the most important decision you're ever going to make is the next one. It's, you can't change what you've done in the past. You can't throw away mistakes you've made. You can't throw away choices you've made because of conditions you were in or situations you were going through. You can just look at the road that's ahead and make the determination that you're going to make the choices you need to make to move yourself forward. So for me, that's what I feel like. I feel like the road is always in front of me and it's my choices that dictate where that road's going to go. And so am I in a place of danger or anything along those lines? I don't feel that way right now, honestly. Um, might my answer have been different two years ago, you know, four years ago, five years ago, obviously. But right now I feel like I know the choices I need to make and I'm making them and I, I feel good about everything. Next question said that, you know, at various points in the podcast, I've mentioned um, that I have some numbness in my feet and um, has there ever been an episode about that or will there be an episode about those issues? Uh, specifically for me, you know, I and I'm sure at some point there'll be a deeper dive on the podcast, but what this person's talking about is for years I lived in this place of willful ignorance where I knew I had health conditions that I should have been addressing, but I wasn't. And I would address them by going on and off diets, temporarily changing the way I was eating and hoping that symptoms would clear up. And one of the symptoms, specifically when you're dealing with blood sugar issues and diabetes, type 2 diabetes, um, are circulation issues that are related to your nerves. And um, I'm thinking, of course, I'm going to blank <laughs> as I was just about to say it. Um, diabetic neuropathy. Neuropathy is the term. And it's a, a numbness and a pain. And honestly, for years, I dealt with severe burning nerve pain in my feet. And changing my diet and changing my weight and my life and my activity um, has helped me immensely with, like, honestly, I used to, like, lay in bed at night and scream over the pain. I used to take painkillers every night before I went to bed because I knew the pain was going to be that bad. And I was not willing to do anything to change it. And I wasn't willing to see anyone about it because I knew what the diagnosis was going to be. Like I said, I lived in that place of willful ignorance where you choose to ignore things that you know you shouldn't be ignoring but you do it anyway for whatever reason, whether you're not ready, you don't want to handle the consequences, whatever personal reasons you have. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably can relate to a point in your life where you knew there was a change you needed to make, 
and there were consequences of not making that change and you still didn't make it. You may be in that place right now. And coming out of that place was probably one of the biggest changes in my life. And once I, and this, you know, obviously if you've been following me for a long time, you know that I was hospitalized with pneumonia in late 2017. My math is going to be way off all over the place with this, but it was late 2017. And I was hospitalized with pneumonia, almost died, was in the hospital for three weeks, was then bedridden at my parents' place after. And it was the first time I had seen a doctor in over 20 years. And it was the biggest fear in my life. And I faced it and survived it. So yes, that's an amazing lesson. But also, um, I got to actually talk to doctors about a couple different things, you know, that had been going on. And uh, my primary care physician basically said, yes, at some point you probably did, you know, you probably were full-blown diabetic, untreated. So that's why you have the residual effects, you know, on your body, the impact, those side effects. And there were some medical paths we could have gone down with, with drug treatment that I decided that I didn't need, I didn't want to partake in at that point. But basically the answer was, you may or may not feel a benefit from it. You know, a lot of times once nerve damage has happened, it can heal over time or it may never heal at all. So I still deal with that. It's one of the reasons why I'm not big on like sandals or like walk, walking on the sand on the beach because there are some times where I can really feel what's going on with my feet and sometimes I can't and uh, you don't want to end up doing something you shouldn't. You know, you don't want to step somewhere wrong or anything along those lines. So it may be something you've dealt with. You may be someone that is dealing with diabetic neuropathy and are dealing with those challenges and understand that reversing may not always be 100% possible for some of the effects, some of the damage that has been done. But for me personally, I look at it as I have to do everything that I can to do the best that I can. So I hope that makes some sense. I hope that's something that is there and pretty clear. And last question of this first section is what thought horrifies you? Um, and I, I don't think they have a specific context for asking this question or they didn't give one. So the th I think the thought that horrifies me is um, being being back in a place of feeling out of control of my life. Um, I And it's funny because I just said I don't feel like I'm anywhere near that or that that would happen. But the idea of that actually happening is, is something I think that is terrifying. Um, and I, I mean, I could throw in cliches and be like losing family, like all of those things. Um, but honestly, like a lot of different things happen in our lives and there are things that we can control and things that we can't. And to have control taken from me is probably the thing that would horrify me the most. Like, to not be able to control the things that I could control before. So, and you never know what life is going to throw your way and how that, that all of those things may happen. But it's, it's one of the reasons why I get up every day and I take care of myself. And I make the choices that I make. Because I don't want to be in that place of ever feeling like I've abdicated control of my life. Because I think in a lot of ways that is what happens. Like when we say we're out of control, it's usually because we've either made a combination of choices that have brought us to that place, or we're just allowing control to be in someone else's or something else's hands and not willing to fight to take that control back. So for me, that is a thought that terrifies me. And there we go. Part one is this is done. That's the end of the questions that are about me. At this point, I want to remind you that if you enjoy this podcast and I've got a slew of guests coming up, some new people that have never been on the show, some returning guests I'm sure will slide in there eventually as well. 
If you love the show and enjoy hearing it every week and want to help keep the show going, remember, you can join the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Join the Patreon. It shows your monthly support for the program. You also get access to the after show where I talk with the guests that have been on the show every week and we continue the dialogue with them. And you can also support the show, though, by using the links in the show notes to purchase products. Purchase those products. They're products that I use and support. And I use them every day, and I've used them for years before I even became affiliates with them. I trust them. Uh, I love all of their ingredients, and their uses are, are, are wide and varied. And using those links gets you a discount and gives a little kickback to me that I can use to keep the show going. So... Those are some ways that you can support the program. Also, don't forget you know, to rate it and five-star it on whatever podcast platform you're using if they allow that. And I just appreciate your support and you being here. And coming up next, we're going to go into those topical questions. So topical questions, here we go. Let's get into it. There's a question. There actually was several related questions that we're going to cover first. And you'll see why once I start to get into them. Up first, someone asked, in keto, do calories matter? Can I eat in a surplus as much as I want and still lose weight? Do I have to say it? Uh, the answer is no. You know, calories matter. And here's one of the, the, the reasons why, like, so one of the other questions I get asked was doing a full episode on Jason Fung's The Obesity Code. And that could be interesting. I got to figure out how to work that, how to really kind of work that out and what that, how that would fit into this show. But Calories matter, and I think for too long, you know, like if you if you were, I read Jason Jason Fung's Obesity Code, and it was one of the books that guided me as I got started on my keto journey. And I used to also be in that place of if I just eat food that fits within a ketogenic framework, I will lose weight, and it doesn't matter if I track how much I eat or pay attention to it at all. And I think the big thing to realize is you can gain weight doing that. You can put on weight. You can eat 25 grams total of carbs a day and gain weight. It's possible. Um, while insulin response and that, you know, that's the big thing in, in Fung's work, you know, is that whole idea of insulin response and controlling insulin, insulin swings and insulin response, you know, has a lot to do with health and is a part of the equation. The magic of keto is not that you can just mystically eat more calories than your body needs and lose weight. What keto does is... It provides greater satiation as you're eating. It helps relieve you from cravings. It helps you not feel as drawn to food. Like it has an impact on your relationship with food, you know, your feelings around food, your cravings, all of that, which then allows you to be in a caloric deficit easier and much in the way other diets function. But for people that are drawn to keto, you realize that when you lower your carbs and you increase your protein and your fat, you can find some relief from some of those things that felt pretty controlling over you before. So normally, and let's, let's put it this way, because your satiation increases and, you know, there's only so much fat you can eat, you know, like in all of those things, especially when you're getting started, that you're going to feel satiated faster. So while you feel like you're not tracking, you're not paying attention, you're just eating until you don't feel like you need to eat anymore, you do end up eventually being in a caloric deficit. And I feel like I'm making this way more confusing than it needs to be as I'm explaining this, but it's this idea that you're cleaning up your food choices, you're eliminating mostly processed foods, you're eliminating some foods that may drive 
you know, you may have an inflammatory response to or some dietary digestive issues with. And so you're eating food that you more easily digest. Food, you know, fat and protein together provide great satiation. And you've cut out the carbs, which, yes, through some insulin swings can drive hunger, you know, in, in a variety of people. So normally, when you were eating that, you know, highly processed, a lot of carbs, but a lot of fat, Carbs and fat together is the biggest problem, I think, when it comes to eating that industrialized, processed, heavy processed diet. You were able to eat those foods and not really feel that satiation. You know, they're meant to be hyperpalatable. They're meant to be easily digest. They're, I just digested, sorry. And so it was easy to eat more. So when you're eating whole foods, you know, when you're eating steak and broccoli with butter, or you're eating a salad with some grilled chicken or turkey burgers, you know, you're getting to a satiation point faster. So you start to then naturally downregulate the amount of calories that you're eating. Now, if you're someone that struggles with a relationship with food issues, like me as a food addict, that may work for a while. And then you hit a point where you start to out-eat the diet because maybe you went too far down on calories, maybe, you know, for whatever reasons, or just even you were white-knuckling through the emotional side of things and not doing any of that work and hitting a point where you, you know, your mind and your body start to push back. So you start overeating on ketogenic food and you start to see the scale going up and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm only eating 20 grams of carbs. It's not possible to gain weight if I'm eating more than that. Calories increase your weight. So if you're eating above the point where your body is at for maintaining, you're going to see weight gain. So if a person is going from a standard American diet to eating a ketogenic lifestyle, could they, without paying attention to calories at all, lose weight just by switching over to eating a ketogenic style of eating. Yes. Will that be sustainable forever? For some folks, it ends up being, you know, they just get into this place of natural regulation and that's fantastic. But for others, and I think honestly, for the majority of people, you do reach a point where you do have to pay attention to what you're eating, how much you're eating and those pieces. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to pay attention to that. Um, one of the things that I saw being discussed actually on Instagram this weekend is that whole idea that, what's the best way to phrase it, that you, you, know, you hear people saying, you know, just eat until you're satisfied. Listen to your body. Listen to your body's signals. You're not listening to your body's signals if you're overeating. The reality is for most of us, especially those of us that have been significantly overweight and have a disordered relationship with food, we have had mixed signals coming from our bodies for decades. And we don't know what those real signals sound or feel like inside. So trusting ourselves is a brand new place and one that can take a lot of work to get to and something that doesn't happen overnight. So if you need to track and pay attention to your food to help you make sure that you're eating the amount of food that your body needs and also will, allow you to, will also allow you to achieve your goals, there's no shame in it. There's no problem with it. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. And it doesn't mean that keto doesn't work. It doesn't mean that eating this lifestyle, eating this weight isn't helping your body, you know, giving you other benefits. There is no magic pill. There is no magic one way of eating that is going to just, you can just eat as much as you want and the weight drops off. Like that's not how life works. So realize that yes, calories matter. Do you always have to track them? That's the question. That's the real question. Like when do I need to pay attention to calories? is a bigger question to me than when do calories matter? Because they always matter. 
It's just that sometimes you're in that deficit without even knowing consciously that you're choosing to be in a deficit. I hope that that makes some sense. I know that's a pretty complicated one and one that I'm sure we'll come back to on the show again soon. The next question is definitely a mindset question and it's dealing with the issue of comparing yourself to yourself. You know, the example the person used was having hit a low weight and their current weight being a little bit higher than that and comparing yourself. And I think it goes even deeper than just seeing weight numbers. I think we get in this place of where, and and this happens in the health and fitness space. You see a lot of the whole, you know, the people that are like, rah, rah, get up every day and kill your clone, kill the person that you used to be. And I think sometimes we compartmentalize ourselves like that. We think about there's this person that we are when we're on track and everything is going great. We're the person who makes the negative choices. We're the person who lived, you know, in the place of willful ignorance. We're the person that has everything going for them and is going really great. We're the person that's stumbling. And these are all these different people that we, we try to act like exist inside of us instead of realizing that we're just one person. And we're one person who may be dealing with different circumstances at different points. That time, you know, time is, 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 a, is a, a through line, but the actions and things that happen to us on that through line are the things that vary. So at your lower weight, lowest weight, you may have been in a, a full-on fight competition and putting all of your energy towards keeping in that caloric deficit and exercising a certain amount, and that's what your life was about. And then when you started to incorporate other things back into your life, and I'm not talking about food choices or anything along those lines, you realize that you only had so much energy. So instead of going to the gym five or six days a week, you're now going to the gym three or four days a week. Instead of being able to track every gram of food, you're tracking you know, a couple times a week or you're trying to more of an intuitive eating approach. And so the scale has gone up a little bit just because you're trying to find that sweet spot. And I think in all of that, it's about identifying what are the things that are important to you keeping your why in focus, you know, because even after you've lost weight, you should understand your purpose in life, you know, and that's what your why really is. Like, what are the things you're working towards? What are the goals you're working on? They don't have to be related to weight and health. They can be related to almost anything in your life. But you work on those things and you keep that moving forward. And instead of saying, well, back when I did this, everything was really great. Identify the things that you were doing, the habits that you had in place. And are those habits still in place? And are there environmental circumstances that have changed? So I think you get over the comparing yourself to yourself by trying to accept yourself where you're at today. And instead of seeing it about a comparison game, think of it as a, what are the actions I'm taking today? And are they driving me in the direction that I want to go? So instead of trying to say, I used to be able to, or when I did this, you know, it's no, what are you doing today? What are you doing right now? And if it's hard to do those things that you used to do at the rate you used to do them, identify, is it hard because of the actual circumstances you're living in? Or is it hard because you're allowing other pieces to come and play and get in, get in the way of the things that you want to be doing? And you're the person that gets to decide those things. Also, 100%, I think, you know, I would say a majority of the most successful people that I have seen losing weight hit a lowest weight and then actually go up a little bit from that weight and then maintain there. And I think it's because they they had a marker in their mind of what that you know that weight goal was and the actual place that they were most comfortable and most sustainable for them might actually have been, you know, 10 15 pounds, 20 pounds away from that place. And that's 100% okay. You determine what the the best numbers for you are. No one else does. And if you find that you can live the life that you want to live and do all the things that you want to do and that number is a little bit higher than when you thought it was going to be, 
that's completely okay. And that's about working on your relationship with the scale, not about working on your relationship with your body where it's at. Like understanding that if your body is doing everything that you want it to do and you're happy, but the number doesn't look exactly how you want it to look, it's off by a couple of pounds, that's something to investigate. That is definitely something to work on. So I hope that that answers that question. Like I, I think, you know, getting over comparing yourself to yourself in the end is about shifting that paradigm and not playing that game anymore. You know, set up a new game, set up something new where it is about assessing yourself. Where am I today and where do I want to be tomorrow? Okay, up next, the question is how to overcome late night eating. So I, I think of a couple things here that could be helpful. Like one is not necessarily an intermittent fasting scheme. And in scheme, I just mean setup. I mean not trying to pull something over on you. But the not not saying you have an eating window or anything per se, but putting in place a rule for yourself that the kitchen closes at a certain time. So you make sure that you get all the food that you need for the day before a certain time of day. And honestly, a lot of that has to do with the fact that when we eat late night, that can be very disruptive to our sleep for some folk. So if you are one of those people, it can be really good to say, I know I'm going to bed at nine or I know I'm going to bed at 10. Two hours before that, I'm going to close the kitchen and I'm going to do everything I can within my power to plan my day so that I'm not eating after that time. I think sometimes just giving yourself that rule can be really helpful when it comes to late night eating. Also, obviously, access has a big thing to do with it. So if there are food, specific foods that you're eating late night and that's the only time that you're eating those foods, maybe get those foods out of the house, get those out of the way. But also... You want to make sure that you're, are you eating late at night because you're still hungry? And are you still hungry because you're not eating enough during the day? Like having a good sense of, are your meals big enough during the day so that you're not going to turn to food late at night? You know, or is there something else triggering you turning to food late at night? Not just actual hunger, but is it the time of day where you process your emotions for the day? When you sit down and say, you know, just you're sitting with yourself and everything that's been going on kind of crashes in on you. So the easiest response to that is use a coping mechanism like food. So could it be good to actually start incorporating like a nightly, a nightly journal, journaling exercise where you reflect on how your day went? What are the things that could have gone better? What are the things you want to focus on the next day? You know, any questions that you want to ask yourself on a daily basis to get into that routine habit of journaling can be really helpful and it can give you something to do besides sit and eat. One of the things I also think happens with late night eating is it comes from boredom. It comes from a place where we have this like environmental trigger of sitting down in front of the television to watch TV at night, I wanna have a snack. And I may even consciously know that I don't wanna do that, but being in a certain chair, watching a certain program triggers that for me. So it's being conscious of what are those things environmentally that might be triggering you and trying to change your nighttime routine to give you some freedom from those triggers. So even if that means changing where you're sitting, changing if you're watching, you know, instead of watching TV, maybe read a book, listen to a podcast, go for a walk, doing something different to take away some of the environmental triggers that may be impacting your late night eating. So really, I think at the end of the day, like to summarize this rambling that I just did, uh, you want to look at how much you're eating during the day. You want to think about having putting some rules in place about when the eating day ends for yourself. And after that point, you allow yourself water. Um, you also want to pay attention to environmental triggers, specific food triggers, um, and I think those are a great place to start working on that. And, you know, the biggest thing in the question, you know, a biggest question that you can ask yourself, especially if you're going to get into the journaling habit, which I think will support it all, is asking yourself, why, why am I eating at night? 
what's driving it and trying to find an answer to that question. I think that can be really important. Asking those questions that we think are simple, but really end up having a lot of power. This next one is one that actually uh, more than one person asked a similar question on this one. And we're coming to the end of the topical questions. And I feel like it's a good one to dive into. And they, the person asked about what is your coaching, what is your experience coaching people to go from abstainers around food to moderators? And that's a term you've probably heard specifically if you're in the, the, the community that talks about food addiction or weight loss, where there are people that abstain from foods and there are people that can moderate foods. And often abstainers want to be moderators and moderators don't know that they're moderators. Does that make sense? What we're talking about is natural behavior when it comes to food. Like, are you naturally someone that just moderates all foods or, you know, doesn't really have an issue with food volume or putting on weight, you know, being in that place? And whether you're putting on weight or not, you know, do you have an issue with binging? Do you have an issue with food addiction? Um, or are you an abstainer? Are you someone that in order to prevent yourself from those behaviors, you need to abstain from foods? And often, I think one of the things that I work on with people is, yes, identifying, because I, I think sometimes there are people that have, have issues with weight and their health because of their relationship with food, you know, specifically their emotional relationship with food. Then there are people that have those same exact issues, but they develop them out of habit. Habits and what they know and lack of information and lack of knowledge. You know, I have worked with clients that are in their 40s that have never been on a diet before in their life, which blew my mind, honestly. But that's, that's their lived experience. And it was never for them about an emotional response to food or binge eating, you know, out of response with a coping mechanism. It was, they didn't have a clear understanding of how you know, their relationship with food should, should work in terms of eating nutritious food, eating proper portions, moving their bodies. It was an informational issue, not an emotional issue. But if you're someone with that emotional issue and you're someone who finds relief from those challenges when you abstain from foods, you are often the person who, especially when you get closer to your goal weight, says, okay, I've abstained from these foods that are challenging to me. I really want to be a moderator. And my biggest answer that I give every person that comes to me with that is first, that may not be possible. And if it's not possible, it doesn't mean that you're broken and it doesn't mean that's not okay. If there are foods that you need to abstain from for the rest of your life to be safe and healthy, that is okay. And don't listen to people, you know, specifically weight loss influencers who say it's impossible to eat, it's possible to eat all the foods that you love, just magically control portions. What they are talking about is being moderators naturally. You know, they are, they are not bringing to you a magic secret on how to moderate. Their magic secret is most likely going to be plan it out and just eat the portion that you plan with zero attention paid to the emotional response side of it and how it feels once you light that fire, you know, because that's how I often describe it for myself. If there's foods that I cannot moderate and I eat them, it's like lighting the fuse on a bomb that if I don't take care of that, that fuse, that bomb is going to explode. So understand that there is no magic way to say every person who needs to be an abstainer for their health can magically become a moderator. And I think anyone who's promising you that, you want to, you want to watch out for promises. Now, do I think there are ways to work on these issues? I 100% think that there are. And that's the part of the question the person asked, you know, what are tactics and tips when it comes to this? And now, first of all, 
I think it, it's one of the things to do is to really be honest about the foods that you're abstaining from, you know, what they look like, what are they, and then think about what are there foods in that group that you want to moderate. And instead of saying, okay, you know, I have an issue with cookies, I want to moderate, you know, I want to be moderate with cookies, or I have an issue with junk food, with fast food, I want to moderate fast food. I think it's about being as specific as possible and working on a specific challenge and being willing to have that experiment fail and learn a lesson and under, you know, learn that, yes, I can moderate that, that specific food or no, I can't moderate that specific food. You know, these are things that I can handle. These are things that I can't. And again, I'm going to circle back and say it a hundred times. Doesn't mean that you're broken or there's anything wrong with you if you can't. But if you're willing to go through the experiment, you have to take the results as they are, not force it to get the results that you want. Because I think often what I see happen with clients is they want to reintroduce foods and they say they're 100% on board with it, that yes, they're willing to be open and to experiment properly and they're going to be honest about their feelings and if the food triggers cravings, they're going to talk about it. And then what can happen is that person so desperately wants to have that food back in their life that they eat it and it does trigger cravings and things start to get really hard and they white knuckle with it as long as they can and they smile and nod and say it's going great and then eventually the dam breaks and they have an episode where they are completely out of control not just with that food but with food in general and then i hear you know the person come to me and say i shouldn't have done that you know i i not that i shouldn't have done the experiment but that i shouldn't have not told you how i was really feeling you know that level of self-honesty is so important when it comes to working on the th your relationship with food. You may find there are things, like for me, in terms of the things that I know that I can, you know, that I had abstained from from a long time, but I know I can moderate if I want to make that choice. It's things that are more in the savory camp. You know, it's having a serving of potato if I'm out to dinner at a fancy restaurant and it's coming with my dinner and I want to have it. You know, it's, I remember very clearly the first time I had real pizza, you know, after I had gone keto. And I put a lot of importance on that experience. And what I learned was that I could moderate it as long as I, you know, approached it with that proper mindset. But could I let myself be, you know, free and footloose with it? I couldn't. Learning that the true lessons about yourself and what you can handle are so important. And they're really hard because sometimes it means coming back and realizing, okay, as much as I want to have X, if I have it, the consequences are too great. And that, that's really the hard thing. And the consequences aren't always involved, you know, aren't just about weight or anything along those lines. The consequences can be the exhaustion mentally from dealing with cravings for a few days after having something. You know, just having to put that work in to hold yourself, you know, to white knuckle through the next couple of days after having that food. So really, I think the important thing is to realize that if you do want to see if you can moderate something that you have been abstaining from, that you isolate the experience, you set up really clear ground rules and have someone that you're working on accountability with it for, and you're honest. And you take the results to be what they are, and you don't let those results then color everything else that you do. Understand that those results are about the very controlled environment that you set up with that food, and explore that from there. Don't allow that to allow you to kind of paint with a wide brush across your food relationship, because you may find that there are some things that you can completely 100% moderate that you would abstain from, and that there are other things that you feel like you should be able to moderate and you still can't. And it's all okay. 
again, like a lot of these answers, like it's about coming back to accepting yourself where you are today, using the tools that you need today, and being willing to take the results that you get, especially when you try experiments like that. So I hope that makes sense. And again, realize you may come to find in the end that working on moderation isn't even worth it for you because how great you feel when you live in that place of abstinence. So also be okay with that. Just something to think about. And the last question of the episode, when is the next podcast with Ultra Fat to Ultra Runner? This is a gentleman who has been on the podcast and he has been going through some incredible challenges. If you follow him on Instagram, you know this. And I am sure at some point I would love to get him back on the show. And if he's listening, um, you know, to talk about where things are at for him, you know, and what he's gone through when he's willing to talk about it. And maybe he'll never be willing to do that. But I did have a couple of people ask that as a question. So I just wanted to address that. I'm always willing to have guests come back on the show when they have a new insight or there's something going on that they want to share. And if you're listening and there's a guest that you would love to have come back on to get an update with, let me know. Send me a DM on Instagram. If there's someone that you'd love to see come on the show that hasn't been on yet, send me a DM. Send me their name. I'll reach out. You never know what could happen. So think about it, y'all. That's the end of the Q&A. If you do want to connect with me and send me some of those DMs, you can know you can find me on Instagram at Gourmet Goes Keto, on Twitter at Gourmet Goes Keto, or heck, you could email it to the show at the Fat Guy Forum, the Fat Guy Forum at gmail.com. Don't forget the the. Sometimes people do when they're like, did you get my email? You forgot the the. So those are places that you can reach out to me and let me know if you have ideas for a guest or a topic for the show. I'd love to hear from you. And hey, thank you so much for being a part of my 50th birthday celebration here on the show. It has meant a lot. Coming up next in a few months, it's going to be the fourth anniversary of the show. We'll see what happens with that. So keep listening, everybody. I'm so glad that you're here. And remember, my friends, go out there today and do something to amaze yourself because you're the most amazing eye people, people I know. My tongue is tied. You guys are amazing. You know I think that. And then come on back and catch me here on the Fat Guy Forum. Mm-hmm.